Welcome to Healthcare Unfiltered. I'm your host, Shadi Nabhan, a hematologist and a medical oncologist with interest in all aspects of healthcare delivery, treatment, leadership, mentorship, and policy. And I've said before that we are all patients, current patients, future patients, or previous patients. And when you are a patient, you are going to be faced with a lot of challenges. And some of these challenges could be out-of-pocket costs, as well as the prices of the drugs that you need to consume in order to maintain your health. I came across a company that I saw by the name of Arrive Health, Arrive Health, where their business model is to actually work with physicians and prescribers, as well as with patients to pretty much lower their out-of-pocket cost. And uh, I was fascinated by this. So I reached out to the chief executive officer of that company, Kyle Kaiser, who is joining me on today's show on Healthcare Unfiltered to tell me what in the world do they do and how are they able to do what they do. Uh, it's important. At the end of the day, we are all going to be in healthcare. And I think it goes without saying that the prices of any drugs that we consume, whether it is for diabetes, heart disease, or cancer are going to keep going up. And let's face it, there are so many systemic issues within our healthcare ecosystem that probably we cannot resolve right away. But until we're able to have solutions for the larger problem, we still have to serve our patients right. And um, I was really fascinated by this and I wanted to invite him on the show to share his experience as well as what he and his team are trying to accomplish. Kyle Kaiser is the CEO of Arrive Health and uh, uh, you, you know, check out what they are doing on their website, but also let me know what you think about today's podcast. Don't forget to... A, subscribe to the podcast, rate it, write a brief review, and refer your friends and colleagues to the show. And don't forget to check out all of the podcast episodes on my YouTube channel, Shadi Nabhan and Healthcare Unfiltered. Check out my website, www.shadinabhan.com. And if you have not read my book, Toxic Exposure, the true story of the Monsanto trials and the search for justice, then check it out. It is available on all bookstore outlets and you can buy it online from Amazon or from my publisher's website, Johns Hopkins or any other bookstore outlet. I would appreciate you checking it out and letting me know what you think. Without further ado, Kyle Kaiser, CEO of Arrive Health on Healthcare Unfiltered. maybe a little bit about you just tell us a little bit uh, who you are and you know i mean you you've started this uh, venture uh, how did this really come about and uh, tell us a little bit more sure yeah so well uh, personally my background is um, largely been in payer oriented digital health so i, I worked for uh, employee benefits and payer type companies straight out of college and had an experience working inside of places uh, and went to work for principal financial group who had a wellness company that was almost kind of like an internal startup inside of the big financial services and health plan business. Um, and that was sort of where I got my bug to try and, you know, do something about the rising uncontrollable cost of healthcare. It was just, you know, good, good environment, good experience, work with great people. 
uh, from there, we're early employee at uh, a couple of startups, WellTalk and Kettlebell Health. So, so you started on the payer side. Like, what did you do on the payer side before you formed your own company? How did this all come about? Well, uh, so I, I, you know, worked for health plans, worked in the employee benefits business. My family's business was uh, employee benefits broker. So I kind of came up in that world, seeing you know the rising cost and what employers are facing and how they try and support their employees. But it's you know you really only have two options when you look to control costs. It's shift the cost onto the individual, uh, or you know shift the cost onto the employer from a commercial perspective. Right there, there weren't good options. So uh, wanted to you know, look to the innovation world and sort of see what you could do differently in healthcare. So early employee um, at WellTalk, early employee at Catapult Health, both of those were kind of startups at the time. Uh, WellTalk was focused on consumer engagement. Catapult Health was primary care at the work site. Both great companies, great management teams, got to learn a lot from uh, good entrepreneurs uh, and wanted to, you know, give it a try as a early near day one kind of joining a company. So uh, joined what was then RX Review at the time. We've recently gone through a rebrand uh, and I'm in year nine. So we've, we've just had my eight year anniversary uh, after the first of the year. When you first started, were you running the company at the time or you started doing something different and then you, you became the chief executive officer? I started selling. Yeah, I, um, I joined because we had a collection of co-founders and um, some were product oriented, some were clinically or oriented. I was the you know guy that had sold stuff in healthcare before. And uh, some of the background on the team is, is an important story is Kevin O'Brien, who's uh, was our sort of founding clinician. He actually started doing all of this work. The spark of this company is because of what Kevin was doing in his clinic. So he, uh, he started to accumulate these ways to save on medications as his own initiative because of his own motivation as a clinician seeing what people were facing from out-of-pocket cost perspectives when he was writing writing prescriptions and that, that was inspired by his mom approaching him and saying you know i've got six seven eight hundred dollars out of pocket in chronic meds and how can you help and so like uh, any good son with the skill set to solve that problem he said you know i could take this brand and break it into generic parts you could pill split this one there's two therapeutic equivalents for this one and he cut her spin in half. That's really what motivated him to start doing this for his patients. Uh, we took all of that initial effort and turned it into what is the inspiration for what has now become Arrive Health and, and Spin because, in our view, it's the patient-provider relationship that's the most leveraged opportunity to create change in healthcare. It's, it, you know, patients want that information from their provider. That's where the trust resides. That's where the care originates. That's where the decisions are being made. So how do we start to inform uh, that moment with real-time, patient-specific, moment-in-time specific information around with cost so that what's effectively a purchasing decision can now be informed by information that's more familiar to every other e-commerce experience in your life, right? It's how much does it cost, what barriers exist, and how do you solve those problems? So so your overall, just to sum summarize this for listeners, your overall goal is what can we do to reduce the out-of-pocket costs for patients receiving medicines regardless of the diagnosis you know I, I come to you and i have a 10 medicines i'm taking and you your your role is to work with me and to work with my practitioner to reduce the cost thematically yes the way it works today is we 
uh, are an invisible component inside of the EMR system evaluating the prescription decision as, as it happens. So when you as a clinician go to prescribe a medication, so in your world, it's probably more often than not oral oncology agent you're trying to prescribe. Once you pin that med, we evaluate it. We send it out to the appropriate health plan or PBM associated with that member in our network. We get back real-time, patient-specific, moment-in-time specific pricing for that individual. And then if there's a lower-cost alternative, um, then we generate an alert to the physician that says, hey, you were going to select drug A, think about drug B or pharmacy B. And so it's a it's an OEM component of the EMR system now. We work with Epic, Cerner, and Athena, and several other smaller uh, e-prescribing and EMR systems. But those are sort of the big three names you'd know. And we're, we're the data network that powers that feature inside of those systems. So you, you're integrated into the, the system where if I'm prescribing, I, I get more transparent alternatives that might actually help me change my, my prescription. How often do you see physicians changing the prescription based on your recommendations? Pretty often. I mean, it's, it's largely dependent on whether it's a pharmacy or a drug alternative. And so that's pretty variable. I, I think the pharmacy alternatives are actually much better adopted because there's no controversy there, right? It's just this is a lower cost option from a pharmacy perspective. It's better aligned with their benefits. So that gets into the you know 30s and 40s percent of the time. Uh, the drug alternatives are uh, it's it's almost too hard to generalize. Um, but you know 20 ish percent of the time there's good options. One of the things we've done some research on recently is. Almost 20% of the time, there's a $0 option available. So we're doing 100 million transactions a year now, uh, nearly. And almost 20% of the time, there's a $0 option. And the prescribing choice was made for something $50 or more. And that's not that's not the physician. Or that's not the prescriber's fault. It's just there's you know going to be some complexity inside of each health plan's preference. And that's not easily communicated to the point of care. So what we're doing is saying... The right information is out there. The affordable option may be out there. Let's go help find it for the provider so that they can bring it forward. If it's therapeutically equivalent, it still accomplishes what they want to accomplish. We're solving that problem the first time rather than them getting to the pharmacy counter, finding out they can't afford it, calling you back, going through that whole process. Isn't some of these decisions, aren't some of these decisions dictated by payers? I mean, in other words, I mean, you, you obviously came from that world. And, and a payer yep. sometimes might dictate you have to use drug A versus drug B because I get rebates or I get whatever, let's face it, some kickbacks from the manufacturer, however you're going to recall it, let's call it rebates. Or sometimes even they dictate on you the pharmacy that you have to use because of these uh, contracts. Are you How are you able to navigate that? Yeah, we're, we're communicating those things up front to the prescriber. So um, albuterol is always a good example. Right. There's half a dozen ways you could prescribe albuterol. It could be a disc, it could be an inhaler, it could be a nebulizer, any number of things. And one of those is probably a zero dollar option for that patient. And the others are probably 250 bucks a month. And uh, as the prescriber, you have no idea, but probably don't have that strong of an opinion. Right. Like the, between the disc and the inhaler, those are more than likely equivalent options. So our the, our value is we're communicating those things up front so that it's not a mystery for the prescriber that they they can know that there's a zero dollar option out there you can get the patient on it and um, solve the provider's problem and the patient's problem at the same time. So how how do you make money? Do you make money because you you're selling the software into the EMR? Like how what how do you generate revenue? 
uh, the health plans and PBMs pay us to represent their their information in workflow. We have some decision support capabilities for health system pharmacies. So in those cases, health systems pay us a subscription fee to, to generate um, health system pharmacy options where they're affordable and in network. Uh, and then most recently, as of the first of the year, we just acquired a, a virtual assistant capability from UPMC, uh, where it's a chat bot that reaches out to patients after the moment of prescribing and works on adherence issues and compliance uh, with medications. That's a that's a health system paid subscription based model that is direct to patient. That's our sort of first step into direct to patient communication. I see. Do you do you aggregate the data that you have that you get from you know either prescribers use or the physicians use and and you're able to bring that back to the uh, to the provider to optimize care? I I was just seeing on your website a lot of how you actually take the big data and you use that to optimize care. And I'm what kind of data that uh, that is helpful in this scenario? From a de-identified aggregate data perspective, primarily we're using that to make the system better. So how do we generate alternatives that are more relevant, uh, more clinically relevant and relevant to the payer uh, preferences? And how do we generate better behavior change associated with lower cost options for patients? That's that's mainly for our own use at this point, not something that we're uh, necessarily commercializing it with uh, third parties. Uh, it's just, just to make the system better. So, 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 um, I mean, I'm thinking, so as somebody who took care of patients for a long time, it seems to me, it's a no brain. If you come to me and you say, I have this, it seems like it's a no brainer. I, I will benefit from it and I will really help my patients. What's the pushback that you get when you go into healthcare systems or practices and they say, you know, uh, that's not really for us. Like what, why wouldn't they? It's usually just a love, you know, prioritization. I think the the biggest challenge that health systems have that we hear, especially when when integrating with EMR systems, is that the line of things to do to those EMR systems is long and distinguished, and the amount of resources to do that work is continually constrained. So uh, we don't actually often, maybe ever, get no. This is not something we want, or no, this is not a good idea. It's more of a I've got to do my upgrade for my Epic system, or I need to, you know, go through some process, compliance process for cures. Um, it's meeting those sort of regulatory bars that often stand in front of us uh, and keep us from being well adopted. But uh, it's it's adopted pretty easily. I think your your perspective is the one we hear the most, which is this is a no brainer. This is the way it should be. We want to take care of patients. This is going to save us time it's going to save the patient money and time and and ultimately right thing for the payer bbm too right because every time they have to do a prior offer they have to put something to a clinical review that that's expense for them so this is definitely one of those win, but, win, win but does it like help with like i can tell you prior authorization kyle is one of the most <laughs> pain in the neck in the ass that ever a physician <laughs> should have okay tell me that totally you agree tell me that your solution is minimizing prior auths, please. It does. We, we, we call it avoiding prior auths, actually. So, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of times where a prior auth is required because there's another medication in the class or a therapeutically equivalent medication that doesn't require prior auth, right? So there's, you know, often the case that we help you avoid the prior auth altogether so you don't have to do it, right? And that, that's the perfect scenario. So 
part of the problem with prior auth as it exists today is largely the the first step in a prior auth is what are the requirements, right? Like I need to understand what payer that that patient's associated with, the, the group and plan level information. So the way that group and plan level information right now gets into the EMR is through flat files. So you're, you know, the plan sponsor sends it to the health plan. So who sends it to the PBM, who sends it to an intermediary, who then calls the EMR system and says, hey, download your file. And then they do that once a month. And so even when that process works perfectly, that data is stagnant, right? It's out of date. And so this is a real-time process. So today, based on what we know about you, your insurance, your pharmacy, we're going to send that transaction and figure out if that prior offer is actually required. You may have already satisfied prior offer. You may have a pending prior offer. There's a bunch of scenarios where that may not be required at the moment. Um, so the transition from old flat file transfer to real-time patient-specific is part of the bigger prior authorization problem. Um, and now being able to communicate that there are options that don't require prior off gives you as the prescriber the opportunity to avoid it altogether. But we entirely agree. We're also doing work around prior off automation with NEMR. We're, we're doing that uh, right now with the University of Colorado and UPMC uh, in Pittsburgh um, and see a lot of good opportunity just to, to make that process better in workflow. Um, largely, even electronic prior off is a retrospective process, meaning it was generated by a denied claim. So, you know, dealing with those things up front is is absolutely our ambition and, and something we're working on actively. You know, there's a lot, uh, you know, you probably heard this and I'm actually doing a podcast on this on PBMs and pharmacy benefit managers. They are not really too, um, you know, there's a lot of angst amongst the provider side and a lot of the physicians about pharmacy benefit managers because in the views of physicians, the PBMs are this intermediary between health plans and and patients. Um, and technically they were supposed to negotiate on behalf of patients with the health plans and manufacturers, whatever it is to reduce the cost uh, to patients. But there are so much written out there that they have not really done so in terms of reducing the cost of healthcare from a patient perspective. What, what's your sense of the need for that intermediary? Like, you know, Give us some historical perspective. How did this all start, and 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 why do physicians really not like PBMs? Well, I think you know at, at the outset, right? The idea behind PBMs is, uh, let's see, what was the High Tech Act ninety five? I guess is when the High Tech Act passed, which is what made PBMs come into existence. And the thought behind PBMs is aggregating demand, uh, so that then you have an ability to negotiate on what was constrained comply. Uh, supply on the pharma side, right? And so in general, that is absolutely necessary, right? Like the, an aggregated demand to drive down costs. It's just a, a market force that's required in our system. Now, through consolidation and consolidation and consolidation, right? That's a, it's been aggregated to a huge degree. And they keep, through the verticalizing of healthcare, it's hard to say if even the PBMs are negotiating with payers. The PBMs are payers and the payers are PBMs and they're all more than more than likely the same organization. Um, in general, the function of negotiating on, on behalf of patients with market power is needed. Um, there's a bunch of ways that that could be different or better and more transparent. Um, but our goal is really connecting the right information with the decision makers at a time where it can be acted upon, right? And that, to me, even in the existing structure, 
changing the existing structure may be a worthy ambition. Uh, not something we're going to try and tackle right now because there's plenty of work to do and just trying to get the right decision made at the right time to help a patient today. Uh, because, you know, frankly, the out of the the biggest change that really, you know, everybody likes to talk about healthcare economics changing and like, will there be single payer or will there, you know, will there be some reform or what does Medicare Advantage do to the overall system? What does the aging population do to the overall system? Well, the change has already happened is over the last 25 years, consumer-driven healthcare is the way of the world. The average deductible is, you know, well in excess of a person's, an individual American's ability to afford it, right? We're talking the average deductible is probably $2,500 now. So we've already shifted the cost on the backs of patients without giving them the tools to understand how to make a market-driven decision. So our goal is really just to start introducing consumer choice where those decisions are happening. That's at the point of care and that's in the hands of patients. And we we got to give patients the tools to make better choices. There's um, there's lots of work to do on making the system itself work better overall. But um, as we battle over those very worthy and important issues, it's you know half of Americans can't bear an unexpected expense of more than a thousand dollars without facing bankruptcy. Yeah, so our goal is just to connect them with the right resources and get it solve their problems. I like that. I, I actually I agree with you. I think that if we wait until we solve the systemic issue in healthcare, um, uh, you know, patients will not be serviced. And I like the idea of providing uh, patients with choices and physicians with choices. What do you do? If, I mean, I, I'm a medical oncologist, and I took care of cancer patients for a long time. And I think there is probably little flexibility with some of the um, choices that you have when it comes to cancer care. Although I admit yeah. that there are some me two and me three drugs right now, you have the same drug for the same indication for the same disease. But in scenarios where you don't have alternatives, uh, what what do you do for these patients and physicians? You know, oncology is a little bit out of our purview often because uh, we're really embedded into the prescribing flow, and a lot of the prescribing for oncology happens in, inside of decision trees and decision support tools that are. Um, not in the traditional e-prescribing flow. So uh, as those orders are queued up in the ERX flow, so oral oncology agents, we're, we're probably able to deliver some value there. To your point, there's not a lot of alternatives from a drug perspective, uh, but where you fill that medication usually matters a lot. And that might, you know, maybe significantly less expensive to use the health plan or PBM-owned pharmacy in those scenarios. And where that's true, uh, we, we provide that as an alternative. Uh, also, there, there's usually a lot of really good reasons to use the health system on pharmacy, you know, have, especially for somebody that's in such a complex condition. And so where the health system pharmacy is an affordable option in that work, and, and we, we help promote those as well so that providers know, you know, you can keep in the system, keep the data consolidated, have an integrated experience. Um, we, we do both of those things. And then, and then, what have you noticed, like based on your observations and based on what you have done over the past several years? Where where are you seeing the lowest hanging fruits when it comes to prescribing? Where you see physicians prescribing something, but there are clear alternatives that they were not aware. Like, where have you? Are there some lessons learned that you've seen over the past uh, several years that were, you know? either surprised you or might surprise me? 
the zero dollar option thing really surprised me. The fact that almost 20% of the time there was a zero zero dollar option that the physician was not aware of. That was a big surprise. I think the other surprise is is just how often those the right answers shifting. Right. If you think about a clinical day for a, a provider, they're going to see, I mean, probably in oncology, you're seeing fewer patients. The average primary care doctor is seeing 20 to 30 patients a day, right? And for those 20 to 30 patients, if there's four or five different insurers in that market, then that becomes a really complicated thing to keep up with, right? Like it's, then there's pharmacy benefit carve outs, and then there's different, you know, sort of changing, um, negotiations that happen within a health plan or a PBM so that for those 20 and 30 patients, you may have 15 or 20 different answers for what is the right alternative for this patient. And just because you know it's a Humana member or a United Healthcare member um, doesn't mean that you know the right answer for every Humana member or United Healthcare member, right? Different for commercial, it's different for Medicare Advantage, different for Medicaid. And so to me, it's that this is like a never ending <laughs> problem, right? Like it's not that I kind of wish we were in a scenario where we would, the system would be so effective that doctors would just start to know what the alternatives were. But the fact is, it's it's a it's a really complicated problem. It's an ever changing problem, and it's something that technology can and should solve. Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it, it it's it remains interesting to me. The um, yeah, the zero dollar option. I mean, certainly it is it is very surprising. It's a pleasant surprise to to do that. Um, and, yeah. and to even know that, and and I kind of think when I'm listening to you, like I, I almost feel as if you're almost your your entity, almost like a providing financial counseling to patients at the point of care. Like you're you're almost there when I'm prescribing something instead of me sending the patient to the financial person in my office. There's some electronic methodology by which I get information that's going to help lower the issue for patients i mean i don't know it just seems like this is how it, the metaphor i have i guess no no it makes sense it totally makes sense actually here's another surprising one is um this will require a little bit of context so in order for us to perform a real-time benefit check we need the eligibility information for the emr right we need to know what insurance company they are affiliated with so we know where to send the transaction and 40% of the time, that there, that's just not there. That information is not in the EMR. So 40% of the time, we can't do anything about it, right? And so we actually have established now a network of cash pay and discount cards so that in that 40% of the time scenario where there's no eligibility, we can provide something of value as a provider and to the patient so that we we understand how to solve that problem. Because, you know, from a user perspective, can you imagine something that only works 60% of the time, like how often do you feel like you're really going to start to rely on that? If 60% of the time it works, 40% of the time nothing shows up. So we've, we've started to fill in that gap with some cash pay information so that we get some sense of actionable pricing every time. They, they're not available because these are uninsured patients or because just they were not, the information were not entered in the EMR? It's probably both. So... Uh, some of that might be uninsured. That's probably not that many anymore. Um, some of those may be, you know, associated with a state Medicaid that didn't pay for e-prescribing. So that data is not there. Uh, some of that might be the data lag I was describing because that eligibility is still flat file process that takes files transferring from one place to the next. So 
yeah, it's a, it's a combination of things, but it was, I think, surprising to us that that's, it's consistent. It's not an EMR problem. It's across all EMRs. It's not a payer problem. It's, it's just the, the way we've decided to facilitate that data exchange doesn't work particularly well. And all of this is obviously for commercial payers. Do you have, I mean, obviously Medicare and Medicaid is a completely, um, different ball game um and you know you've got part d and other things going on with with medicare and and all of this are are there any um any solutions for the medicare and medicaid patients uh i think medicaid is probably easier but i don't know i, I presume everything we talk no, we about serve commercial payers no no we serve both those markets um so actually cms uh two years ago passed a a rule that required Part D payers to provide a real-time benefit connection. So now if you're a Part D plan, you have to do the, the type of data exchange that we provide. Medicaid, not so much. Medicaid's pretty fragmented, as you know. Um, we do work you know, in, in, with several MCOs uh, for Medicaid population. Presbyterian New Mexico, which is a extraordinarily successful Medicaid payer, is a partner of ours. Um, so yeah, we're, we're across lines of business. Yeah, I gotta ask you like a business question just because I I sometimes think of business because I I'm trying to think of other entities in the same marketplace that are doing the same thing and I I can't. Um, it, it's you know I I obviously I know that some payers have this internal you know they have their own internal resources PBMs and some practices they have these internal things. But in in the in the marketplace, who do you compete with technically? Like who are your top three competitors business wise? Uh, on the real-time benefit front, we compete with SureScripts, who's kind of the the legacy e-prescribing network, um, is probably who we run into the most. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't doesn't I mean, it doesn't seem that uh, that uh, there are other. Uh, I don't know. I can't think of other competition. So 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 this is this is big. You're trying to solve uh, the problems pertaining to cost of care at the point of care with physicians. Any plans uh, have you looked into um, inpatient care and the cost of care on the inpatient side and um, you know hospitalized patients as they accumulate uh, co-pays and, and cost for their inpatient hospitalization? Is this another possibility for you or, or, or not right now? In, inpatient's probably not our focus. It's kind of a whole different ball of wax. Um, discharge absolutely so the you know someone goes through a transition of care the medications they may have been on in in uh patient may need to be different outpatient based on their formulary there's that's that's something that is happening inside of the emrs that discharge through our tools uh but not a full transition to inpatient care not a, not a focus of ours now, have you ever thought when you were growing up you're going to be a, a CEO of uh, a company? Is this something that you thought about? And uh, what does a life of a CEO of a multi-million dollar company look like? How do you spend your day? Uh, mostly on Zoom <laughs> or airplanes. <laughs> or podcasts or podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, to answer the question, I did not consider this as an option. You know, I, I sincerely was was uh, interested, willing, and and running headlong towards being in the employee benefits business. That's that was uh, what my dad did, and uh, was headed in that direction. So, 
um, it's it's quite a departure. I, I grew up in North Carolina too, so there's if you would have asked me a thousand times when I was twelve years old if this would be my job and I'd live on the West Coast, I would answer no a thousand times. But you know, could so be what surprised. made you what made you take on the role? Like what? So how did this come about? Like what you know? Did did you think about is this the right career move? Like was it, I mean, you've been on it now for several years, so. Um, Clearly, you obviously are, are making an impact and you made the right choice. Did you doubt yourself at some point that this is the right career move? I honestly didn't think about it. I, I, um, I cared sincerely about the mission, right? Like if, I, we have this um, mantra around the company that's called that it's Lucy Up is what we say to each other. It is because of that story I told you about Kevin, our founding physician, and him wanting to help his mom. His mom's name Lucy. And so we developed this mantra a long time ago that's this Lucy up moment. And um, and so whenever we need to focus on why we're really here, that we're this is really about something bigger than ourselves. This is really about trying to accomplish something meaningful for people in healthcare. We can we can say Lucy up to each other and it all says that, right? Um and I absolutely believe that to a core like everybody's got a Lucy in their life it might be them it might be somebody you love but some everyone's had some experience with the healthcare system that just didn't make any sense or left them feeling disappointed and uh and frankly i'm obsessed with that problem like it feels solvable there's so many now there's the data access now there's uh, you know, broad adoption of vmrs the claim systems are now capable of generating real-time transactions the table is set to make this better. And so, you know, for the first time, maybe ever, consumer choice in workflow and clinical workflows and consumer choice in the patient experience is viable. And so I, uh, I, I'm, I'm obsessed over that problem. I could care less about what that does to my career. I think that, um, I think it's a big problem. And I, I really, uh, what intrigued me about what you're doing is that you are attempting to have solutions and I think we need solutions. So I'm, I'm always grateful to anyone who is trying to solve these problems. Uh, what's, uh, like how, how, uh, how big is your company currently? How many employees? Uh, at post, after the acquisition, we're 73. 73. And what, what's, uh, yeah. how do you see things evolving in what you're trying to do over the next five years? I ask because I feel that um, there are certain uncertainties in any marketplace, obviously. Some of it is political pressure. Some of it is regulatory and and, and other things. But 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 I think that um, I'm, I'm curious as you think about who you're going to be targeting and who are the physician practices and networks basically you how how do you go around this like the sales forces go and meet physicians and hospitals and who's who, who do you talk to the cmos the ceos the when you go into a healthcare system who are you facing it's a combination we're we're often talking to pharmacy leadership we're often talking to a cfo um and many times cmio just because of the user experience of the emr is really important uh, that's kind of the three legs to the stool more often than not. Yeah. Well, look, I, 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 I think uh, it would be great to uh, to see how you evolve and how things are actually progressing nicely. What, uh, yeah. what other things you want to share with listeners I may have completely forgotten to ask you? Um, well, I guess that the other part of your question I didn't address is that sort of five-year vision. I think um, 
I think ultimately in five years, well, let's talk about where we are, right? Like where we're coming from is patients don't know where to go for answers. So they go back to their doctor and through no fault of their own, the prescriber does not have the answers, right? Like they don't know necessarily how to direct you to your health plan or know how to direct you to a hub to solve some affordability issue or enrollment form or whatever. So um, to me, five years from now that we're arming providers with automation and technology to where that is a seamless part of the way to deliver care. Because that, you know, back to that consumer-driven healthcare reality, patients are faced with, in uh, many times, an unbearable cost burden. They don't have a lot of tools helping them solve that problem. So five years from now, we want the providers to be armed with the technology and, uh, and the tools to where they can help solve those problems for patients without overburdening them and their staff. Uh, that's ultimately what we're trying to accomplish. And you were you went on the record. You said there will be no more prior odds. Yeah, <laughs> I know, Actually, Kyle. I heard that. You know, <laughs> there's there are probably several scenarios where that might be possible, but uh, I don't know if I can make that promise. Yeah, it, it's it, it's interesting. There, there's also in in a lot of practices they have the clinical pathways. You know, in terms of. Mm -hmm. uh, how you do this. Have you thought about being integrated into these clinical pathways based on the insurance and the data information that you have? You know, in other words, you, you're already versus after the fact, you're part of the pre-pre-pre-work uh, type of thing. You're you're part of the pathway type of thing. Yeah, actually, the initial product we built was a decision support application and workflow. We we were incubated inside the University of Colorado Health System in Denver. Uh, we work closely with their care innovation center and our goal was to build a, a user experience where in one view and through one click a doctor could see clinically appropriate recommendations and the cost of associated clinically appropriate re recommendations and we built it we built it for antibiotics not because the cost of antibiotics is particularly unbearable but because the antibiotics had a discrete yes or no right based on the antibiogram there was a right and a wrong answer and we could measure whether or not we were driving behavior change through sort of like the one click order type scenario. And, um, and that's still, uh, I think our, you know, that's the perfect, that's the killer clinical app, right? If we can, we can unify clinical recommendations with cost recommendations in that sort of pathway tool. Um, I think that's absolutely what we should be driving towards. And to your point about prior off, if that tool is in the world, then anybody who uses that tool shouldn't be subjected to prior auth, right? Because you're going through the pathway that's recommended by the payer. And so it, it should be kind of that gold carding scenario where if you're using this tool, then you shouldn't have to go through a prior auth process, which is, you know, technically possible today. You could be indicated as a gold card prescriber at a PBM right now, and you wouldn't have to do prior auth because they would trust that you're going to make the right decision. So um, I, I think that's absolutely an inevitable future. Um, and, and whether we'll get there in this, business or not is to be seen, but um, we've had such extraordinary growth on the price transparency and real-time benefit side that we haven't done a lot of work on the clinical decision support side because we've been keeping up with that growth, but um, I think that's absolutely the right approach. It's a big opportunity, honestly, and I think you probably have the tools and the expertise to uh, to be part of that, and I, it will be really very much welcomed by a lot of uh, uh, physicians and practicing uh uh, physicians. So, um, Kyle, thank you so much for spending some time with me. I, I enjoyed really getting to know uh, what you're doing and what the company is doing. And uh, 
Uh, I hope that uh, folks can check out uh, Arrive Health um, and check out your website and the opportunity that they're if they are on the provider side and whatever it is that um, uh, that you're doing. I hope that you can come and visit with us again in about a year and we can talk about the progress you've made. That sounds great. I'll look forward to the invitation. Okay, folks, thank you so much for listening to Healthcare Unfiltered. I appreciate your support and I appreciate you tuning in for this episode discussing how we reduce the cost of prescription drugs with Kyle Kaiser, the CEO of Arrive Health. I appreciate you letting me know what you think of the podcast by direct messaging me on Twitter at Shadi Nabhan or by checking out my website, www.shadinabhan.com. You can also watch all of the podcast episodes on my YouTube channel, Chadi Nabhan and Healthcare Unfiltered. Don't forget to subscribe, like, rate the show, and refer friends and colleagues and let them know about it. I'm pretty sure there's some topic on Healthcare Unfiltered that they will enjoy. And before I let you go, I'm going to leave you with a saying from Socrates. I know that I'm intelligent because I know that I know nothing. Until next time, take care.